Good morning, church. Thank you for joining us online as we continue our series on the gospel and racism. Pastor Brady did such a great job last week. I'm excited to share God's word with you today. But church, I hope you see that we are the fulfillment of, of Jesus' prayer in John 17. When he prayed to the Father that, that they may be one, that they may be perfectly one, so that way they can, they can know you and know that you love them as you have loved me. Church, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill for the whole world to see. The world is in desperate need of Jesus Christ, and it also is in desperate need to see our union with God and with each other. This is why we're talking about hard, uncomfortable things. See, the sin of racism is one of those things that, that can divide us. And we, can see, we also see the effects of it in our country. Racism is causing division in, 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 in our nation, in our country, and I pray that it doesn't start divisioning within the church. That's my hope. So if you, if you turn on the news, if you go on social media, you can see the division. May it never be so in the church that we will let politics divide us, that we will look, let the color of our skin divide us, that we will let our, our backgrounds divide us, our ethnicities divide us. That we will let, if we decide to, 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 to be angry at people for, for, for protesting or being angry for people who, who decide to keep silent, guys, let's, let's not let these things divide us, church. People don't know what to do. People are asking, what shall we do? See, our, our culture is in need of racial reconciliation, but I'm also convinced that we are in need of it as well. You see, racial reconciliation is not just a social issue, it's a gospel issue. So today I wanna to talk to you about the gospel and racial reconciliation. So if you have your Bibles, please tune into to Ephesians chapter two. Point number one. We are already racially reconciled to God and to each other. So Ephesians chapter 2 is such an amazing chapter, but so many of us, we memorize Ephesians chapter 1 through 10. You know, right off the bat, Paul tells us that we were once dead in our sin and our trespasses because of sin, that we were separated from God. And then, and then he tells us about, and then in verse 4, he says, but now, but now, God has made a way for us to come alive, to go from death to life. And we, and we, and we, and we know from verse 8 that it is by his grace that we have been saved, that we shall not boast. It's not, it's not anything within us that deserves this kind of love, this kind of grace. We love these verses. They're so good amazing truths but so many of us forget about the second half of chapter 2 verses 11 through 22 not only did Jesus save us from death to life not only did he did he just shower his grace upon us but he also the second half of our salvation the second half of our deliverance that we that we normally forget is that we have been saved 
and also united with each other. See, Jesus, Jesus not only died for us to be set free from sin and death, he died to, to bring us together, to unite us as one, as one humanity. So Ephesians chapter 2, the whole chapter deserves our full attention as we seek to be racially reconciled, as we seek to end hostility as a church and as a culture and as a nation. See, look at verse 11. It says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the flesh of hand. You see, Paul is telling us that, that this division that was between Jews and Gentiles, it started back when, when God called Abraham. So God called this, this, womb, this moon worshiper. He selected him and he calls him and says, hey, hey Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to make your name known. I'm going to make you a blessing to the world. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you this seed. And, and every nation of the world will be blessed by you. Then in Genesis chapter 17, he makes this covenant with Abraham. Where he tells Abraham, every male offspring from you shall be circumcised. So right off the bat, God is, God is separating his people from every other nation, every other people. That they, that they are circumcised, that they are set apart. You see, the Jews were meant to be a city on a hill, the light of the world, for the, all the nations can see the glory of God, that all the nations of God will know that God is in control and that he loves them. That was the, that was the covenant that God established with Abraham. See, Jews were God's chosen people to be a light to the other nations. And then later on we find out that, that they received another co covenant, the Mosaic covenant. They received the law of God. And this, and th and this was on tablets. And it, and, it, and, it, and it commanded them to love God and to love their neighbor as themselves. And, and they had access to that, but the Gentiles did not have access to the law. See, even if they did have access to the law, they wouldn't be able to keep it because of sin. This is why Gentiles are separated from God, as Paul's telling us here. They were alienated. They were strangers to the covenant of God. They had no hope in the world and without God. On the other hand, Israel had the law. They had the Mosaic covenant, but they couldn't keep it because of sin. You see, these, these distinctions are what divided these two people. The very thing that was meant to bring life brought death to these two groups. Guys, these God-ordained distinctions are serious. And it actually divided Jews from Gentiles, these two groups of people. We have to agree that these differences are far deeper than the distinctions that divide us as a church and as a nation and as a country. But then, and then Paul gives us a, a but now in verse 13. So always when, when Paul shares bad news, he always follows up with the good news. So anytime you see but now in the Bible, just know that there's good news coming. So verse 13 sets up this wonderful contrast that the Christian Gentiles are no longer known by their former hopelessness, but, that but by their new life in Christ. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. How did God accomplish this? 
How did God unite these two groups together? Verses 14, Jesus. Jesus is amazing. He's our peace. His ministry is amazing. Him stepping down from heaven to earth and living a perfect life, keeping the law, keeping the Mosaic covenant. He is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. He is the seed and he is here. He kept it perfectly. Perfectly loving God and loving neighbor. He's our peace that brings these two groups together. Jesus is our shalom. He wants us to flourish. He wants us to thrive. That's what threw him to the cross. He is our friend. He is a friend to his enemies. He turns, Jesus is the only, God is the only person who would turn his enemy into a friend. And more than that, to a friend into an enemy. And that's what he's calling us to do. He's our justice. He's our mercy. He's our kindness. He's our salvation. He perfectly loved God and neighbor on your behalf, preaching peace to those who were near and those who were far, preaching to the Jews, showing the Jews that God is, is in the business of saving all the nations, all people, and bringing them and uniting them together as one. See, the, the peace of Christ, the life of Christ in us is far greater than any hostility, any distinction that is causing to divide us. See, God's eternal life inside a human being with people with, with, people with different ethnicities, different cultural backgrounds, different, different backgrounds, different colors of skin, different political views, different convictions. He, he changed these people and make them into a new man a new humanity, a new race. Reconciling them both to God and to each other. See, this is the wonderful news of the gospel. That Jesus not only saved us from sin and death, but he unites us as one body, one race. See, look at verse 15. How did God accomplish this? It says, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. This has been accomplished by the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, the blood of Jesus is what unites us, who brings those who are far and those who are near together as one. It's important to say that God didn't just save Gentiles so they can look like Jews. God didn't save Gentiles in order to do that. He saved them to, to make a new man, to become the body of Christ, where Jesus is the head. See, Christ abolished the law by fulfilling it. He kept it. And then he imputes his righteousness upon us through faith. So Jesus kept the law. He kept it perfectly so that through faith in him, we can receive his record of perfection. That's what allows us to be one man and one humanity. You take a look at verse 16, and might reconcile, there's our word reconcile, and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. Christ destroyed the barrier, the wall, by the dying on the cross. Gentiles are no longer alienated, separated, foreigners of God. They no longer considered dead in their sin and their trespasses, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, becoming a new humanity. We are in Christ. We're no longer in Adam. There is now unity between Jew and Gentile. I hope you see it, church. 
I hope you see that, that the cure of racism, that Jesus already, already provided it through his life, death, and resurrection, making us one. See, these, the, these major distinctions of both sin and the law was destroyed at the cross. It is the blood of Christ that unites us. In verse 18, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Praise God that there's one spirit. That's not a black Holy Spirit and a white Holy Spirit. There is one spirit of God and he can be in all. That we have the same spirit giving us access to the Father. We can approach the throne room of God because of the spirit inside of us. And that there's nothing that can separate us from God and there's nothing that can separate us from each other. See, the division has been torn down. We are racially reconciled to God and to each other. One body because we are under grace. Guys, I hope you understand that the only thing that we truly deserve in life because of our sin is death. That God's life is a free gift to you and me. God giving us life and then God uniting us together as one. It's by his grace and his grace alone. We don't deserve this type of love. We don't deserve this type of unity, but he freely gives it to us. And my lesson for you is to trust. Trust that you have been racially reconciled to each other. We have to live in this. We have to trust in this. Trust what Christ has already accomplished. And point number two, that, let's strive to be racially reconciled to each other. So the great paradox of the gospel tells us that what Jesus, what Jesus accomplished for us has been finished. But we live in this realm of the already but not yet. The Christ has already accomplished our reconciliation. But as you can see, we still have some work to do, right? Regarding reconciliation with one another. When I'm, I need you to hear me out. What I'm not, what I'm not asking you to do is to, is to live by works. I'm asking you to trust in what God has already accomplished through Jesus Christ. Once we're trusting in that, we can live in it. Maybe you've been asking yourself, what, is, what are some ways that I can do this? What are some ways that I can love others, the others, to pursue racial reconciliation? How can I put my faith in action? How can I allow Christ in me personally to go and reach and seek reconciliation within the body of Christ. How our new identity, how can we pursue racial reconciliation? Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Hear me out. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. But through the power of God, we can be racially reconciled. We can strive for it. And here are some ways. Look, listen, learn, live. See, see, look, look within your own heart to where there's any hostility towards another, towards someone else, and seek that forgiveness, seek their reconciliation. So look within. But then also listen. Listen to someone who's not like you. See, our natural human tendency is to, is to be with people who are like us, who, who look like us, talk like us, dress like us who believe the same views and opinions as us. But I want to challenge you to listen to someone who, who isn't like you, who doesn't talk like you, dress like you, 
who doesn't, who, who, who you wouldn't consider yourself naturally to, to be around. The outcast, the outsider. Let's listen. Let's listen well. And then learn. Learn from your brothers and sisters in Christ. Learn who they are. Learn from those who are not like you. Church, God didn't just save me. Right? He didn't just save me and you so, so we can look like each other, talk like each other, dress like each other. He bought, he, he, so that we, we don't have to look like everyone here at Grace Baptist Church. You see, he bought me in Christ, you know, a black, bald man, right, that wants to serve Jesus by, by, by knowing God and loving the people around me. Christian, please don't say you don't see color. Don't say you don't see color. See, our diversity is a good thing. It's a God-given thing that we should celebrate. We should celebrate our cultural differences. God didn't, God didn't save us and then change our skin color. God didn't save us and change our cultural background. Those are God-ordained things that we should celebrate. Let's learn from each other. And then live. Let's do life together. Living out our unity is the way the body of Christ represents the glory of God to the world. See, let me ask you a personal question. If you, if you took a look at your network of friends, your network of relationships, do you, do you see any diversity? See, I want to challenge you to be involved in relationships and conversations with others who are not like you. I'm not talking about online engagement. There's a lot of that going around. I'm not talking about online engagement. I'm talking about face-to-face interaction. I'm talking about taking someone out for lunch and getting to know them. Face-to-face talks. I believe it's in these settings that we begin to strive for racial reconciliation. You see, we got to be able to hear our brothers and sisters out. We got to be able to hear our hearts so we can learn their lives and their life stories. You see, to have a heart that desires genuine genuine relationships, it requires humility. See, Micah 6 says, seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. You see, that's the walk walk humbly part is is, is hard. I believe that before we can engage to enter into a realm to have these type of conversations, we have to come in with with the heart of Christ. We have to come in with humility. It takes great humility to create a space that allows a person to unpack their life story without cutting them off or fact-checking them by being sensitive to a person that's not like you. It's being sensitive to a person but when they're sharing their story that is not similar to yours. You see, getting to know a Christian that is not like you is simply pursuing your own family in love. We have to stop calling ourselves colorblind and embrace the God-creative design, and embrace what he has given us as differences. Please don't think because you read a book about black people, you know all there is to know about a black person. See, my wife can tell you that I'm a very unique individual. Even though I'm unique, the way I experience life is, 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 is totally different than the way you may experience yours. It, it's, it's exhausting, let me tell you, it's exhausting to be a black man in America. Where, where every time when I see someone who's not like me, if I meet a white person for the first time, it's exhausting to have to, to, to convince them, to prove to them that I'm not a threat, that I'm a nice guy. 
It's exhausting. That shouldn't have to be so. It's exhausting that every time I get pulled over by an officer that I have to text my wife and tell her to pray for me. And that it's exhausting to, to, try, to try to convince the cop that, that I'm, I'm normal. I'm, a, I'm not a threat. And it's also exhausting to have these conversations with my children that were about what's going on in the world. See, I had a conversation with my children about everything that's going on in the world, and you know what their response to me was? But dad, I'm not black. And that hurt me. That hurt me inside because, because what they're telling me is that they're ashamed of being the color of their skin. They're ashamed of the color of my skin. And guys, that should not be. As, as a church, we have to celebrate our differences. At church, we have to see each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, racially reconciled to God and to each other. So often what stops racial reconciliation is apathy to the topic of race and racism. Maybe you're feeling some sort of way about this sermon series or about this sermon. We think just because the Jim Crow laws have been overturned that somehow we magically are united, equal, and desegregated. You see, when Christ abolished the law for Jews and Gentiles, they still, they still had a hard way to striving for racial reconciliation, working to confronting the sin in their lives, in each other's lives. Galatians chapter 2 is one of my favorite chapters in the, in the Bible. And if you haven't read, I recommend you reading it. But in the middle of this chapter, you have this encounter, this, this confrontation with Peter and Paul. You see, Peter was in Antioch, and he was, at a, he was at a table eating with Gentiles. He was fellowshipping with Gentiles. And then when, and when Paul showed up with some Jews, Peter decides to get up from the table and go and sit with the Jews. And he led Barnabas astray by doing it as well, and some other Jews. And then Paul decides to, to confront him. He calls him out. He says, he says, Peter, what you're doing is not in step with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not in step. Our hearts should match our conduct. You see, what the issue was, the, the, the Jews were communicating to Gentiles that they had to be just like the Jews. But let me remind you that when Christ died, he abolished the law. He unified us as one. There's nothing to separate us. And then at the very end of the chapter, chapter Galatians chapter 2 is one of my favorite verses. <laughs> it says, for I have been crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Now in this life that I live in the flesh, I live through faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, I ask myself, why did, why did Paul call out Peter? I think Paul understood that, that we have this new identity, that we have been, our old self has been crucified with Christ, and this new life has been raised to God, to Christ and God, and he, he raised us up to be united as one, a new humanity. You see, one of the problems with our apathy is, is when people do discuss the continued struggles and problems that we face in our culture and our society about racism, Many people cry out, if we, if we simply just stop talking about it, all these issues will go away. Let's just stop talking about race and then racism will go away. That would disappear. You see, the, the problem with that point is that race continues to be talked about because it continues to be a problem. 
We don't apply this logic to any other sin in our lives. You don't say, you don't say if we stop talking about lust, people will stop watching pornography. Or, or if, we, if we stop talking about abortion, the abortion rate would decrease. If we, if we stop talking about homosexuality, well, I, I think you guys get my point. We get the picture. These conversations happen because as the church, we have to look a good look within ourselves our own hearts, and be willing to have these hard conversations with each other, with our brothers and sisters who are not like us, where we are confessing our sins and confronting sin when it happens. We cannot brush off these conversations. Yes, I know that they're hard. I know that they can be uncomfortable. Racial reconciliation is, 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 is a gospel thing. The gospel so clearly addresses it. And we should, we should too, church. Yes, they will be uncomfortable and difficult. But notice that Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, we are no longer strangers or aliens, but fellow citizens, members of the household of God. Let's listen well to each other. Let's forgive well, and let's be quick to give grace. Guys, hear me out. This is not about guilt. No one should be walking around feeling guilty for a sin that they didn't directly commit. But it's important to recognize that these things, that our past is infecting our present. It's important to acknowledge that our history is still impacting our present and future. Yes, we have seen some improvements. You know, 54 years ago, me and my wife wouldn't be married. But there's a law that allowed me to, to, to marry my wife, and I praise God for that. But as you, as you can see, even with these changes, there is still work to be done. It's about doing the work of loving our neighbor as ourselves. And, and guys, listen to me. The only way that we're going to be able to do that is knowing that it has been cured by the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus united us as one. And now we have to, now, now we are charged to live out our faith, live out our unity together. So my lesson for you is, is try for racial reconciliation by doing life with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Point number three, you are ministers of reconciliation to the world. Paul tells us in verse 21 that, that in him, the whole structure being built together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. You see, God is, God is building this building that's not yet complete. What that means is that God is going to use me and you to invite others into the family of God. Church, when our unity and our oneness is operating the way it should. Our love is what the world is longing for. Our love. Jesus said it himself in John 17, 23, what we heard beautifully preached last week, that, that Jesus is praying that, God, I pray that they may be one, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world will know that you have sent me and that you have loved them as you have loved me. You see, it starts with us, church. When we are operating from our unity, from our oneness, the world will know that the Father sent the Son because he so loved the world that he gave. See, Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We are ambassadors of Christ Jesus. So we are called to represent God. We represent his kingdom in his earthly kingdom, in his darkness, by bringing the gospel to a world that is desperate for it that's in desperate need of peace and justice and mercy. They are in desperate need of the very life of Christ. 
we have to begin seeing the people who are not like us as potential stones in the building of God. We have to start seeing people in the image of God. And when people hurt, we should hurt. When people mourn, we should mourn. We should rejoice with those who rejoice. You see, your Muslim neighbor across the street, he's in need of the gospel of reconciliation. Your Hispanic coworker that's in the office next to you, he's in need of the message of reconciliation. The young black kid that, that is serving your food at your favorite restaurant that you love to go to, he's in need of the gospel of reconciliation. You see, our world is in need of the message. I hope you see that, church. I hope that you see the gospel is for all and can be in all. If we, the church, can take the Great Commission seriously to go, go into all the world and be the hands and feet of God by preaching and serving and loving. You see, we should lose a little bit of sleep at night knowing that there are people in our world who are still in Adam, who are not in Christ. See, there are Gentiles, people who are in Adam, who are separated from Christ, who are alienated from the promises of God. Strangers of eternal life. Having no hope and without God in the world. Church, do you hear the cries of the oppressed? Let's be the hands and feet of God. People are asking, what is the cure for all of this? Injustice in our world today. What is the cure of racism? Church, it is the gospel. It is the power of God for, for Jew and for Greek, for Gentile. Let me remind you that maybe you're, maybe you're watching this sermon and, and you never heard that God loves you. You have never heard that, that God has made a way for you to be reconciled to him, to be united to him and with the church. Let me, let me, make a, 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 let me invite you into the family of God, that there is a savior. His name is Jesus. And he lived a perfect life for you. And he died a death that we all deserve on the cross. And he's offering you his life. And that life will change you. It would change, change you from being dead to alive. And then, you, and then you are united to the family of God. You can have a relationship with him and his church. And all you have to do is receive him through faith. See, church, our culture is in need of gospel reconciliation. They are in need to see us, to see what God's glory looks like on display when his church is, is united as a new creation, as a new humanity. Imagine how our culture, our culture would react if they see us with different believers, with a diversity of, of cultures and backgrounds and political views and cultural uh, genders and generations, social economic classes, all serving each other, receiving from each other, loving, being kind, not judging, and caring for those who are suffering and also deciding to suffer with them. They will be able to see, taste and see, that the Lord is good. Micah 6, 8 tells us, let's, 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 let's seek justice, let's love mercy, and let's walk humbly with our God. Church, let us be known by our love. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you have accomplished what we are desperate for. We are desperate for unity, and you have freely given it to us. Thank you for the cross, Jesus. Thank you for the empty tomb, because you live, we can live. 
We look forward to that day when we get to worship you within the multitude. There'll be all different ethnicities, all different cultures, all different backgrounds, all praising your name. Glory to God in the highest. Jesus, begin to continue to, to do your work in our hearts as we seek the good in your people, as we celebrate our differences, and as we trust in your finished work. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.